computer. One sec. Let me just check what episode I'm on because I lost track. Yeah, dude, no worries. No worries. You're the uh, first IFBB pro I've had on. No shit. Yeah. I mean, I've had a, I've only had a couple of guests, but uh, let's see. What's this? Number six. Okay. All right. How's it going, everybody? This is going to be the Conscious Bodybuilding uh, Podcast, episode number seven. Uh, today, we have Chris Tuttle on. Chris is uh, an RDN. He has a master's in dietetics. Is that what it is? Correct. Uh, no, it's a bachelor's in dietetics, master's in nutrition. And the okay. RD is basically a, a registered dietitian, meaning you have to take a national recognized exam so you can practice nutrition in a hospital and so okay. forth. And that, and that also, uh, I had actually, the, my last, uh, one of my last guests was uh, RDN as well. And that allows you, uh, I know you specialize with um, nutrition related disease and that allows you to work with people with diabetes and other conditions like that, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, you are also an IFBB pro, which is awesome. Um, and you also run a uh, nutrition company with your wife, Alexia. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. You said her name right. Nobody ever gets her name right. <laughs> I made sure I watched the video and you, you sang it. I, I'm always really uh, trying to be on top of pronunciation. That's impressive. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. Well, uh, if you, if you don't mind, could you give my audience like maybe just a brief like timeline? I think your, your kind of your background is really cool. Uh, like where you started and, and I know you started with motocross and I think that actually influenced where you are currently, if, if I'm not mistaken a little bit. Um, so if you could just maybe run down your timeline of, of where you started to like where you're at now, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right. So I'll try to make this as a, a real brief synopsis. So um, I've been obsessed with dirt bikes since I was a little kid. And so finally I got my parents to get me one when I was on age four and a half, five started racing. I was terrible when I first started and I got a trainer that trainer put me on a nutrition program, very basic, just, you know, uh, healthy whole foods, make sure every meal has a good amount of protein in it. Um, and he gave me an exercise program, which would more conducive to say CrossFit now, right? More yeah. full body, barbell work, uh, high speed, that kind of thing. And my body responded really quickly. I saw a noticeable difference in my muscles and my appearance that was pointed out to me by my friends I think around seventh grade, sixth grade. So I was like, wow, I didn't realize that lifting weights made your body change. And that sparked my first interest, but never wanted to be bodybuilder at that point. I wanted to race motocross and that's my main function. But at an early age, I was exposed to how nutrition changed the way I felt and performed on the bike, which gave me interest in nutrition. But really my interest became the training because I saw what the training did to my physique. Right. And of course I could wrestle my friends and beat them (laughs) because I was stronger. And that's always cool uh, when you're young. Um, so basically race motocross up until about, you know, age 21, actually, a little after 21. And I started bodybuilding. But during that period of time, I always wanted to lift weights. As I went through high school, I got a little older. Everybody was getting more muscular and bigger, and they're focusing on heavy weights. But as many of you guys know, or may not know, motocross is about efficiency, being able to maintain your max heart rate for 20 minutes. Um, so you have to be lighter and more muscles just means more oxygen robbing tissue. Um, you have to be agile and fast and have endurance. So that's kind of counterintuitive with weight training. So I never really got heavy into bodybuilding until later. Um, and then after motocross, I went directly into bodybuilding. 
And that's when I decided I wanted to go to school to be a um, dietitian. And right before I kind of ended motocross, I worked at the gym as a personal trainer. And there was a dietitian on staff that made us run through his program. And I, he taught me about nutrition on a level of fat loss. And he actually was a bodybuilder at one point and carb cycling. And he carb cycled me and I got really lean and I performed awesome on the bike racing my last year. So uh, during that time, I was going to school, being a personal trainer and racing, and I stopped racing and I continued to go to school, but I changed my major to nutrition because I realized nutrition's more, there's more, actually it's not more depth to it, but it was more of an interest to me because I could help yeah. a, gr a greater, broader people, right? And just generally helping people in the gym at a general population level wasn't as exciting to me, you know? Uh, but nutrition was. So that's why I first started to become a dietitian. I bodybuilded all through college, and that's kind of how it kind of set my path. But it was all started from that trainer getting me excited into training nutrition, which kind of brought me into that whole uh, realm, so right. to speak. Yeah. It, it's, uh, what, well, what was the, uh, like the transition? Like what made you stop motocross and then go to bodybuilding? Uh, well, I don't know if all of us out there who don't know motocross, I mean, you're looking at averaging breaking almost a bone a year. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was, I had nine bones, something like nine bones that broke. I've had four or five concussions, tons of stitches, and you, it beats the living hell out of your body. Right. Um, so when I was 21, it's like I'm spending $30,000 a year racing, spending every single penny I was making. Uh, it just wasn't feasible. I had to grow up, you know? Yeah. I had to start spending the money racing because, you know, racing, you're racing every weekend for almost 32 weeks of the year and all the, you know, the travel, the gas, the parts break, the bikes are about $6,000 each. So it was a lot of money and a lot of sacrifice and time. And it's not like I keep doing that forever. And plus my body really hurt. And I, at some point I, I, I reached the professional level of racing motocross and that's just a whole nother level, you know? And many people don't realize that, you know, like you might know a professional baseball player, but never hear his name but that professional baseball player is an extraordinary athlete. So, and everybody knows the top athletes of any sport because those are the pinnacle of best people in the world. So when I started racing at a professional level, you know, at that point, it's not like I'm going to be making money from racing. And yeah. I was already considered old 21 as a professional was probably fairly old at that point. If I wasn't oh, really, winning. yeah. Okay. And most guys, you know, they're like 18, 19, 20, the top, yeah. top guys. And they're, killing it um in that race or they're already 25 26 and they're already been on the top five forever you know right right so i had to grow up and i wanted to bodybuild anyway and move on to something because i've been racing for so long i'm trying to trying to find something new and that's right. why i did my first show in 2005 and that's when i kind of got addicted um right i was like well i my, my thing is my intention was just to try it see if i like it i wasn't i wasn't being like i'm gonna be a pro I want to do this. I just want to try it. I just want to be shredded. I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger on stage. I wanted to have that look. And once I did it and I realized it's not something that you just go do and then a month later go change it again and do it again. It's more like, all right, a year of training, come back, do it again. Year of training, come back, do it again. It's the long term. And I personally thought it was more feasible to going to school and living because if I can only compete twice a year, and then the rest of the year, I just eat, train, and go to school and work. That's perfect, right? Yeah. Where, where racing was the opposite. It's like it takes up all your time, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, and I think you probably looked at it, you know, I, this happened to me too. I was much younger and I wasn't like that good, but I, I skateboarded and I just, uh, I, I, I broke a bone in my foot was out for two months healed. And then I dislocated my knee on a handrail and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just, the, the risk reward, like I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. You know, I was my, I always had a dream of going pro, you know, very, you know, a lot of kids do, but it's just the, the, the actual, like, I, I remember thinking I'm, I'm like, 13 years old, like I can't be having this many broken bones. Like this isn't, you know, having that kind of like uh, snapped reality of it. Um, and that's kind of where I found lifting. No, it's good that you learned at a young age. I didn't learn that till way later. Right. Well, you were probably much better than I was, uh, you know, at motocross <laughs> and I was at skateboarding. So I had the mentality of, I broke my bar. I look at my wrist. I'm like, damn it, it's broken again. And I'd run to my, run to my parents like, mom, my wrist is broken again. And they'll take me off. But it was funny, that feeling, the feeling that you had when you quit, same feeling I had. Um, when I, I took a couple hard falls when I was 20, I didn't break anything, but I bruised my ribs pretty bad. I broke my ribs before, but I hit the ground really hard. I remember one particular crash, I got up, you know, I was, my head was woozy, had a concussion, and I said to myself, oh, that was awful. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this again. Yeah. Like, like, you know, it's kind of like where before I would fall like that, I'd get up and I wouldn't even second guess. Yeah. But the second you start second guessing something in an, an extreme sport like we were doing, it's time to stop because that's when you're really get injured. It's funny because I remember watching Evan say that in a video. He was like, the day I stop doing this is when it becomes like a job and I don't enjoy doing it for the process, Correct. right? Correct. And I think, yeah, definitely. That's yeah. cool. Well, uh, it seems like you have like really good guidance from an early age. I feel like a lot of people don't have that. I mean, did you have any like, um, uh, you know, did you do anything like any preps where they were just terrible, like, you know, ill-advised and you just had a bad experience or was it like you always had that good guidance and the preps generally went smooth because of that? Well, I will tell you, I think I'm lucky in the sense that my parents were supportive and, you know, like just to give a kind of a glimpse when I started racing, I wanted to quit because I wasn't good for two races. And my dad looked at me and he goes, don't you dare, don't you ever quit something because it's hard, quit something because you don't want to do it. And I got, and he looked at me and goes, do you want to do this? And I go, shit, I do want to do this. And he goes, all right. So he walked around the track and found somebody that was decent at training. There was a trainer and he hired somebody. So as a young age, I knew, and I knew it was okay to ask for help where a lot of people don't do that. Right. So the second I went into bodybuilding, I immediately reached out to somebody that I knew who competed and I immediately asked them, what do I need to do? Instead of lollygagging around and trying to read and figure it out myself, I want somebody who's done it to let me know what I need to do so I don't skip or I don't make all these mistakes, right? Um, My first coach, you know, it wasn't the greatest experience. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, perfect. Um, but he did put me in the right direction and, you know, I did get in shape. I didn't do very well my first show. Um, and that was kind of like the, the start of it because I really didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know, I didn't know anything. You read a hundred different things online, right? Yeah. And then, and then he tells me to do this and I'm like, I'm just going to listen to him and stay with that and then run it. And then once I did, uh, after the first show, I actually picked up all Chris Aceto's books and I read Chris Aceto's books and I applied those principles and did my own show, uh, my own prep the following year, and I won. And I actually put on 13 pounds of stage weight. So wow. that is kind of how it first started. Worked somebody, got my feet wet, 
did my own prep for one, two shows, did really well, did my own prep for my fourth show, did really bad. And then at that point, I'm like more impatience. And I'm like, I need to find somebody else who's really good, knows what they're doing. So I found Fakri Mubarak and I approached him and he, coaching wasn't even really a big thing then. It was kind of like hush hush behind the scenes kind of stuff. It wasn't like broadcasting because there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram. And I asked him to help me and he initially said, no, he goes, I don't really do that. And then, um, he contacted my girlfriend at the time who had MySpace and said, he'd be willing to take, he willing, he'd be willing to take me on, you know, for this amount of money. And I said, done. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, what do we need to do? And then I couldn't believe the stuff he had me doing. I couldn't believe yeah. I had to eat that much I've heard food. his protocols are kind of crazy, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, back then it wasn't that crazy. Um, I, I've always been a relatively intelligent person in the sense that if there's something that I'm not comfortable with, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just followed the food and, and the gear wasn't a lot by any means. Oh, okay. Um, for like at, at that point, I mean, dude, this is going back to 2000, 2007. Okay. That's like maybe when I started lifting weights. Right. Right. It's like 2007. Yeah. So he's the first one to introduct me. And then I came back and I crushed it. Uh, when yeah. he helped me, I, you know, I put on a good amount oh, of weight cool. in a short time and came in awesome condition and kind of exposed me to a whole nother area that I didn't think would be possible. Right. Um, many times, you know, when you get into something and you guys are listening, you have a perceived perception of how something's supposed to be. And then you're stuck inside that box. This is your box and, and you can't leave the box. So somebody breaks that box and shows you how much more you can do. That's kind of what happened. I was in this box that I've, perceive myself from what I've read and my experience while I was competing. And then a factory just crushed that box and goes, no, no, there's much more to this that you can do. Meaning with diet, training, nutrition, supplementation, all that. And he made my eyes a little more open. At that point, I realized that there's not one way of doing something. There's a hundred ways of doing something. And you just kind of have to follow things more methodically and progressive over time. So do you think he like exposed you to your capabilities or, or information as well, or, or, you know, like a little bit of both or. I'm just information. I'm a very observant person and believe it or not, I'm not well, I, I never ask questions. Like some people always say, Oh, I like to go work with a coach. I can learn. And they ask questions. I don't think I asked Zachary one damn question. Uh, I just, I just followed it yeah. and I, I saw what he was doing. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of yeah. like you send him pictures he goes, great, no changes. I'm not going to ask why no changes. I assume no changes because things are working right, right? Right, right. Kind of that common sense. Yeah, yeah. Versus right. like if you start stepping things up dramatically, then obviously I'm not progressing. Yeah, or so you're behind a little bit. Right, but I was kind of looking at the changes he was making very carefully and closely right. and kind of making sense of it. Oh, these changes are gradual. It's not 500 carbs to 100. It's gradual. You know, right. and back then cheat meals weren't a thing. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of things today, people, all you guys listening to that, cheat, you know, cheat meal, refeed meal that like, that wasn't a thing in prep at all ever. I know John Meadows talked about that too. It's like, I went through yeah. a 16 month prep, 16 week prep and didn't have one thing off plan and no cheat meals at all. It just wasn't yeah. a thing. You know, right. I, I find personally, I, I like that mentality. Like I, it just, I don't feel I don't feel like I'm making progress. It's a weird mentality, but I like to be zoned in. Like I don't like to have things off the plan 
Um, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't either. Even with my own clients, dude, like the, the clients that I give cheat meals are usually given cheat meals for only two reasons. One, they're dangerously flat for some reason, stress, work, not sleeping. And I have to give them something like a large bowl of calories or they would mentally break down if they didn't have something off plan because yeah. some of them are like that. But most of the time I like to have more of a methodical high carbohydrate refeed day where yeah. you can measure and control what you're doing versus like, oh, you had a burger at Robin last week, but this week you had a burger at Five Guys. You know what I mean? Inconsistent. You can't, you know, Correct. you can't Correct. gauge off that. Yeah. And then obviously a lot of I think the thing people don't talk about is like the digestion too. If you eat something that messes up your digestion for like two days, you, I feel like you're just taking a, a large step backwards. You've lost those two days. I mean, you know, yeah, not more necessarily, more. but right, yeah. right, right. I feel the same way. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Well, that's cool. It's a cool background. I mean, um, I, I, I'm kind of the same way. Like I have all my emails saved with all my coaches. I have like my WhatsApp data saved and I just go back and refer to that. Um, as I, and I, and I'm kind of in the same boat now where I kind of want to try my own thing, but yeah, that's really cool that you're kind of data driven as far as that goes, or at least observant to where yeah, you create your I, own data. Yeah. I never saved it because I understood that every prep is different. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I've learned things over the years, and I think some of the things I've learned that are really good key principles with preparation is never compare two preps. Never look at previous contest preparation uh, progression pictures in another prep. Yeah. Because it yeah. fuck with you. Oh, my God. I did that. I did that. Uh, right. Quarantine not, time. Not, oh, my God. It messed up my head so bad. Last year I was way leaner. Oh, my God. I'm not as big. But it's like, I tell people, like, why don't you do that? Because it doesn't help you. No. And, and heaven forbid, if it causes a negative response, now you're going backwards. Yeah. Especially Look your mental state. Right. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. I, um, I think I was comparing a photo when I was like flat during this current prep to one where I was like, I don't know, just, it was just like, I was much smaller. Right. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm the same size. I haven't made any progress. And I just totally plus, messed with my head. And plus there's so many variables, the lighting, where you yeah. were in a day, right. everything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. My tan, everything yes. like that. Yeah. Here, yeah. I got to close my window real quick. I don't want to. One sec. All right. Sorry about that. Cool. All right. Well, uh, let me uh, get into some of these questions I wrote down for you. Um, actually, so I was watching Fuad's podcast, and um, it, it's funny because it was right after the North Americans. And North Americans just happened this past weekend, correct? Yep. Yeah, I, so I, uh, I actually wanted to, I mean, you had, how many athletes compete in the North Americans? I just had three. Oh, okay. Three. Just three. <laughs> yeah, three. Yeah, that's I mean, cool. Last year I had more than the year before. I've actually been scaling back on how many clients I have per show. Okay. I just don't want to have seven, ten per show. Like, yeah. I don't want that stress. I just don't. Definitely, definitely. And it's, and it's hard to probably focus on them and give them the attention they need, right? Yeah, manage it's just, all the variables. Yeah, right. I mean, I've always been able to do it successfully, but it's not a fun process for me. Yeah. And I, I want to keep it more of like, oh, I love helping people do their thing and that's it versus like yeah. not sleeping at all for three days, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of, I mean, not a lot, but I would say that there are some coaches that just take on way too many clients for that reason. And they just want to, you know, get as much money as they can. That's That's good that you do that. And you kind of are like, all right, this is my limit, you know? It's not, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. oh, I referred them out. I have a few people I refer people to, so that's yeah, why I usually yeah. do That's really know. cool. Um, and so, uh, I, I noticed you had one client who looked really good who got his pro card. 
Um, yeah. And I just wanted to ask you about that, if you don't mind. Um, his, like, uh, he, you said he took no diuretics, um, and you guys kind of had to play around with his, like, you know, water and, and, and things like that. Um, that's that's a, a different, um, like, scenario from a lot of what bodybuilding coaches do. I think a lot of coaches – I think coaches are stepping away. I like John Meadows, definitely, and people like that. But, like, w- where did you get the idea to step away and not use diuretics? Uh, do, you, do you not use them across the board? Um, you know, is it a situ- situational thing? It's a situational thing, one. But, honestly, I try to not use diuretics almost ever. Um, right. And if I do, it'll be a small amount, like 6.25 milligrams of hydrochlorothiazide or maybe a third of a diazide. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe one or two dose applications every 10 hours uh, mm-hmm. starting on Friday or Saturday, depending. But if somebody's hard, greeny, and dry on Monday and you pull and you give them a diuretic, they're probably just going to get flatter and be the same version, right? Right. Um, but some people are different. Like, I don't think personally I'm a good diuretic user either because how many times do you hear people say, oh, dude, Saturday night I was awesome or Monday, Sunday morning I was awesome it's because you had hydration. Most yeah. people are like, oh, it's because I ate a burger. No, the burger slammed a bunch of salt back in your body and you yeah. actually probably had like three ounces of Diet Coke or water and now your water because you're so dehydrated and you're digesting that salt, that salt's going to be pulled into the blood your blood volume will increase appearing larger for muscles. So right. with Nathan specifically, I've worked with him for years and we've done shows. We used, used diuretics and we haven't used diuretics. Right. Um, and we've caught water in the past, but it's situational in the sense of when we were progressing through the week, because he had to make like an eight pound weight cut, right? He's a uh, light heavies or he's he a middleweight middleweight. middleweight. Okay. And we were a bit overweight and we had to cut and dehydrate him hard and not eat. So as I'm methodically watching his body weight go down daily starting Sunday, because we're dehydrating a little less water, a little less water, reduce the sodium a little bit, um, you know, then we stopped eating and then we just did rice cakes to give him some substance to eat until he made weight. Right. But as I'm reintroducing water after he made weight, you know, I gave him, I think, two and a half liters right after he made weight within a four or six hour period of time and then sending pictures and you can see that, you know, he's flat, but he's a little smooth because, you know, the body's trying to have that fluid balance normalization. So the next morning I take a look at him and I'm like, Hmm, I know he's dry now, but now he's a little fuller, but still flat. And I kept the carbs around 60 grams of carbs for me. I was 60, I believe it was 60 at that point and kept the carbs very consistent, the salt very consistent. And I just brought his water up, the next day, I believe to three and a half liters. Three and a half liters, his weight from check-in day to the following evening, as in the two times, so after two and a half liters, his weight, after three and a half liters the following day, his weight was the same, which means he's still dehydrating, right? Because if he rehydrate after making weight, his weight should spike high, high, high. Right. But it didn't. So I gave him a little bit more carbs the following day and I increased his water again, I think to four and a half liters. And then again, his weight started to go up, but not very much. So like evening weight was only like a pound and a half above what his weight was after making weight, which is not great, right? Yeah. He's dry. He was dry and he, he wasn't popping crazy full, which still tells me 
hydration-wise, his, his body's not fully hydrated, and the sodium probably is still kind of low for his body. Right. So come Thursday, I start pulling water back just a tiny bit, right? I just, I'm like, ah, let's, why don't we just do three and a half liters, just a tiny bit, and watch his weight? Because I figured his weight was all of a sudden going to spike. Because at that point, your body is reaching homeostasis, it's normalizing, and then the weight can actually start to rebound, have a rebound, because that rebound is right. coming eventually in right. most cases. So Thursday night, yeah, Thursday night, he looked full. He was popping more on about 500 mLs less water, 1,000 mLs less water, and he was popping more. So I'm like, oh, that water cut was good. However, Friday morning he gets up, and he's really, really dry, and he doesn't have much pop. We've been eating for three days. Yeah. So it's not like it's a carb issue. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I really think that I want him to be a little drier and even still a little fuller. And I said to him, I go, what did I say? I think it was midday. I go, we're going to do only three liters today and cut off by a certain time, keep the sodium the same. And I think later in the day I said, hey, I just want to be on the same page because I want you to feel comfortable with our move. What do you think about possibly <clears throat> drinking more water tomorrow and adding more salt? Yeah. And he goes, I've always wanted to do something like that, but I've been brave enough to try. And I right. go, I think it's, I think it's really going to work well. Because if, you, if you, for you guys listening, if you think about this concept of science, when your body starts to dehydrate and there's less water um, and there's no diuretics, your body will start to slowly start to withhold on to sodium to try to keep blood volume, keep blood pressure, keep the water in. Right. So the body, at some degree, goes starts to panic and hold, but you're, you're still excreting, so it's not like your body's in that full aldosterone release retainment of water yet. So I said, well, if you're dehydrated and your body's running low in salt, low in water, the first introduction of water and salt, provided it's not too much, it's going to suck it in, right? Like a dry sponge. Right. So the next morning, I gave him the same exact meals, except I said double the amount of salt that you were using. And when I say double amount of salt, so if somebody's using, I don't have anybody measure their salt. I right. just go, are you using, how many shakes, how many shakes of the salt shake you're using? They go, oh, I'm using two. Oh, okay, two, two shakes. Okay. So we're going to do four shakes. Right. Do four shakes, get up, drink 500 mLs, four shakes that meal and drink another 500 mLs after and get any pictures. And then I looked at him and I'm like, yes. Yeah. Because in that short three, four hours, his physique was changing. So I'm like, all right, do another 250 mLs between meals two and three. We'll do 500 mLs of water with meal three, another 250 after meal three, and still keep the double salt. And every set of pictures he sent me, he was getting fuller and fuller and rounder, and his weight was going up and up and up. Yeah. And I think he ended up being on stage probably around 186, you know, a whole 10 pounds above the middleweight cutoff. Yeah. Um, so it ended up working perfect. Uh, but that's his body. Some people's bodies don't do that. Some people's right. bodies look better when they're more dehydrated. But he was just getting, the less water I gave him, he was just getting less pop, right? right. And his physique wasn't looking like that that aliveness. You know, he's still dry and you can do right. side obliques and it's grainy, but you got to be grainy and full, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's, you know, it shows your experience to notice that. Um, you know, maybe it was salt too. A lot of people are afraid of, of sodium uh, or afraid of water. I, I've heard of coaches afraid of either or in, in a prep scenario. And you have one coach, well, salt, I've heard people salt loading. I've heard people water loading. 
but you, it seems like you're you're playing with these variables in a very methodical way. You're you you, you know up one observe, um, and that's uh, that process is something that I I, I uh, you know need need a, need a lot of uh, experience on because it's just uh, again you have that eye and, and you're able to observe it and make uh, calculated uh, adjustments based off of that. And it's what you just said. It's methodical. So people are listening. Nothing drastic. It's just this is what we're doing. This right. is what's starting to happen. But like you said, it's the eye and knowing that person's physique. I'm lucky yeah, I know Nate's physique. Right. So I've seen Nate's physique change. And plus, you send me pictures three times a day every day. So you could see kind of like at what point, at what time things were occurring. Right. Um, but that's that's key. And, and, and I, I don't like drastic. And sometimes the diuretics, right. like you take a diuretic and you mess it up, it's like there's not really much undoing you it. Do. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, you know, versus... I, Versus being, you're already in condition, right? Why, you know, it, like like you said, you see someone who's just r looks awesome on like a Thursday before a show, and then something happens between Thursday and you know Friday or Saturday, that just completely different look, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think water weird for people, and I like salt. I like adding salt back. I think yeah. adding salt back with water restriction gives you a gnarly look. Right, right, definitely. Cool. Yeah. I just wanted you to elaborate on that because I feel like there are coaches who are just like, there's diuretic. It just goes in. It's just no, no matter what, you know? Um, so I was just kind of curious, you know, never understood that. Right. Even working with the CETO, like, you know, I, I knew the deal. So CETO never had to explain to me. I'll be like, Hey, what do you want me to have on hand for diuretics? And he'd just be like, Oh, whatever. He doesn't even care. You know? <laughs> You know? That's so funny. And I, uh, I had everything. And then I remember when, when the CEDA was telling me to take diuretics, he goes, I want you to take 12.5 milligrams of an aldactone and 6.25 of a hydrochlorothiazide just once. And I'm like, I was like, Acido, I have 100 milligram tablets of aldactone. How do I? Yeah. Uh, I, I go, that down. he was just crushed up into, he goes, just crushed up into little crumbles and just take a baby pebble. <laughs> and then I did the next morning, I was dry as a bone. That's so funny. And he's yeah. like, see, you see, go see if we did more, it would have been too much. <laughs> Chris is like the master of like, I don't know, what, what, what is the term I'm looking for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, like the thing where he like touches his athletes. I've seen, uh, I had a buddy who's a pro out here. Uh, I live in uh, Bay Area and he's showing me one of his protocols and he's like asking him what he should take. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, he uh, didn't care, right? It's just so wild. Yeah. Yeah. And he has like some of the most insane looking athletes. You're just like, that's ridiculous. Because in my hotel room and you're a pro, uh, I'm like, you know, me, I have everything. He's like, I'm like, all right, well, what do you have for car? I'm like, what, what should I use for carbs? He's like, I don't know. What do you got? And I go, well, I have all these. And he goes, well, what do you normally eat? I'm like, I usually eat rice bread and, and white rice. He goes, well, that's what we use then. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. He's a funny yeah. guy. That's cool. He's awesome. awesome. It's going to be a sad day when he's not in the industry anymore. Oh, I know. I mean, he's, he's still got some guys up on the, on the, the top ranks right now. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what did I want to ask you about? Um, a little bit about your, your clinical. So I, I think this is a really big thing. I feel like, um, a lot of people, and, and you've said this too, is like, you can't necessarily use your, some parts of your formal education weren't applicable when you went over to bodybuilding coaching. Um, but I feel like that, that you, you, you said you did a, a stint in, um, like a clinical setting. 
And um, I was just curious if that had any impact. Like I know you were looking over lab values and there was tube feeding going on and things like that. Um, is, is there any of that that you like as, as, a, as a coach now use or, or were able to take away from that? And maybe some of your education, you know. You, you know okay, so I, I will start with the first question and work to the TPNs yeah. and the work. So I would say in a nutshell, my whole entire education, my master's, my internship, and bachelor's degree, everything I've learned about nutrition basically made me better able to read through the bullshit coaches. Read through the crap that you hear on Instagram. The influencers posting ridiculous claims about nutrition yeah. and food. Yeah. You know, that is kind of what it made me be able to read through where I could look at something and be like, this guy's totally full of shit. Right. You know, like he might get people in shape, but his methodology of what he's planning with meal one has to be a grapefruit with a Splenda on it and this and that. He goes, that's just his system, but it does nothing. <laughs> Do you right. know what I mean? Where right. I could understand that. Kind of like Blaine Norton always debunks what all these influencers post all the time. It's like yeah. I'm totally with Lane on like you can't make those claims, you know, because of why, and then he explains why. So right. I'm in the same lines as he and a lot of that stuff. But it doesn't help me get in bodybuilding shape. It just helped me read nutrition better and know when something's crap right. and what's not. Um, but to the blood work, yes, because we had to learn to use read blood work all the time with TPNs, which is IV nutrition, okay? okay. This is nutrition broken down in its finest form, so you're hanging and it's going right into a peck line. Um, not like a tube feed where it's going through your stomach. It's going right into the vein. Okay. Um, so we had to read blood work daily and then adjust the electrolytes um, based on their blood work because obviously you change someone's electrolytes sodium, potassium, the calcium, and magnesium, you can see a drastic change in 24 hours if you're way off, right. especially depending on what disease state they have. So that was able to be able to, for me to read people's blood work, because bodybuilders will send me in their blood work, like, what do you think? I'm like, dude, this is terrible. Like, <laughs> you need to go do this and go see this specialist immediately and stop taking that and doing this. At right. least I can have them understand that. But I can also look at someone's blood work and be like, Oh, that doctor doesn't really understand that liver enzymes are elevated because of tissue damage. Exercise, you, might, right, yeah. Yeah. you might want to not train for five days, go in hydrated and retest again just to rule it out because your doctor's ready to sit there and order an ultrasound. Right. I had a guy I worked with the last week sent me his labs and he was like, Hey, my, he's trying to refer me to uh, whatever a, a liver specialist is. And I was like, uh, and his just slightly elevated liver enzymes. And I'm like, well, you exercise, right? Like, and it's just crazy. That's not general knowledge, but, but go you, on. Sorry. I know. I know. It's funny. It's like my, my father's a physician and he knows yeah. that stuff. And he's the one that actually taught me that. And then I looked more into oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, I, my, I, I was like, Dad, look at my blood work. He's like, oh yeah, it's because, you know, you have more muscle mass. That's why your, your creatinine is in the higher end of normal, but still normal. Right. He goes, make sure you're following trends. Um, he goes, your liver enzymes are elevated because you're an athlete. I'm like, what do you mean by athlete? He goes, well, muscle breakdown. And that he, he knew that, and he just said to me, too, he goes, younger doctors, some doctors just don't know. It's yeah. not like the doctor is an idiot. They just don't know. They weren't taught right. the physiological responses to heavy weight training, you know, and, and being a doctor, yeah. because that's not really the general population. Right, and just, just as they're not generally uh, taught nutrition either. I mean, they maybe no. get one course, right? Definitely. So, yeah, that's what my dad said he took one course. 
yeah. So I, I just, I find that funny because people will be like, well, my doctor said eat this. And I'm like, how much formal nutrition training did your doctor get? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. your doctor's recommending the ketogenic diet. Oh, boy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's funny. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, even, even that electrolyte thing, you probably have had some point in like a prep or, or you're doing a peak week and uh, that something like that may pop up in your head. I mean, I can only assume that it does, but. Yeah. Well, um, the biggest thing I think what's helping nutrition is being able to manipulate someone's labs through nutrition. I get hired a lot for people trying to make their life insurance test. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they're like, Hey, my cholesterol's a little, oh, my cholesterol's a little off. Um, you know, my liver enzymes are this, or, you know, my BUN's a little elevated. I, I need my labs to be perfect for my life insurance policy and I'll get their labs perfect in nutrition. Like I know little tricks that you can do to make sure your BUN and your creatinine is normal. Right. I know tricks you can do for liver enzymes and things like that, you know. Um, you know, avoiding red meat. If you eat a bunch of red meat the day before a uh, blood lab draw the next morning, you can have falsely elevated creatinine levels. You can. Okay. Um, so like avoiding red meat, especially the night before, is important. Staying extra hydrated, being very consistent yeah. with salt intake because those can kind of make your levels a little off or a right. little false, you know? Yeah. That's such a cool thing for, for myself is just having that, that power to manipulate those things and create yeah. control your health. Like that's just the coolest thing to me, like to be able to look over labs. All right, I got to do this, this, and this now, and then yeah. work on it, you know, try to get those values and range. I mean, that's such a cool uh, thing for me, at least. I mean, I guess. I'm yeah, versus just like trying to do a drug. <laughs> yeah. Let me fix it with this. Let me take this supplement, do this. No, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think a lot of, what was that? let's just look at your diet. Right. Right. Well, I think a lot of bodybuilding is that it's, um, you know, we're, we're we are at high level of bodybuilding. You are mitigating side effects and you are trying to, um, I think, uh, well, Stan efforting is someone who said, this is, if you want to be healthy, don't compete. Right. And I feel like a lot of like higher level bodybuilding is, is you're managing side effects and watching certain blood markers and trying to keep those in range. And you're trying to find this formula that works, eat this food, not that. And then, you know, trying to, I guess with general nutrition too, but. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, uh, to get into that a little bit, uh, well, further into nutrition, um, where do you think the importance of, of micro and I don't want to be too redundant. I need those, the fool I'd ask you some of these questions, but where do you think the importance of micronutrition um, in a diet lies? I think, you know, a, a lot of bodybuilders get caught up in this where they eat just chicken and rice. Um, but I think it, it may be even more important in a prep environment. So I, I guess that's kind of a twofold question, but um, you know, micronutrients and then maybe where, why they might be more important in a prep versus less. So in the off season, it's less worrisome about micronutrients. Not that it's ever not worrisome and meaning like you can't discount it, but it's right. less because when you're eating large quantities of food, you're obviously getting a larger amount of micronutrients just by dose dependent. Hold on. No worries. You just keep barking the whole time. Those are uh, your, your small dogs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you're eating a large quantity of food throughout the whole off-season and you're eating off-plan here and there, you obviously are getting a larger quantity of micronutrients just because of dose dependence, right? But as you restrict calories of, say, micronutrient-dense-less foods or foods that are not considered micronutrient-dense and eating less and less and less, you're 
chance of becoming a deficit in any one of those vitamins and minerals greatly increases, right? right. Not to mention calorie expenditure greatly increases because now you're doing cardio, now you're training extra hard, and now you're expecting your body to perform optimally, lose fat, and usually in a compromised state of sleep because yeah. the majority of people don't sleep well in prep. Right. You know, stimulants, stress, hunger, etc. So you combine uh, an environment of less sleep, pushing your body to the max with cardio training with less calories. It's to kind of like two plus two is four. You're going to have, you're not going to, you're going to be deficient, you know, right. especially eating the basic chicken, rice, cream of rice foods. Um, now I can't say as an individual, this is fact. I just know this from my own anecdotal, uh, um, evidence for myself and my clients that when I focused on foods that are very micronutrient dense during prep and really ate a sufficient amount of those vegetables and paid very close attention, I felt a hundred times better as in less muscle soreness. I slept better. I burned fat a heck of a lot better because I was able to do way less cardio, way less fat burning drugs. Right. Um, I got, I felt a uh, result for just, it, my physique just looked overall balanced. I just felt great. I didn't have like days where I was like, oh, I feel like death because I've been there before. I've been to that diet of chicken, rice, fish, eating the same vegetable three times a day, not worrying about a variety of vegetables, not eating any fruits. This last prep I did, I had fruits constantly. I had maybe three or four fruit servings a day. Right. I had vegetables. I had all sorts of that. And the carbohydrates that really changed were the micronutrient denseless ones like rice. Doesn't give anything yeah. to energy. So when carbs got low, low, rice was the one that got cut, not fruit. Yeah. Not other things, you know? Right. And I, I mean, people argue all they want. I was the best condition I've probably ever been in my life a week out. Um, and then for that animal shoot, I was doing like 20 minutes of cardio. I never yeah. even used T3 and I used like four, four micrograms of climb only. And I was just getting grainier and harder, grainier and harder all the time. I felt awesome. Right. <laughs> you know, is it the micronutrient density foods that did that? No, it's a combination of everything. But one thing I did do totally different that time around is I slept way better and my diet was completely focused on micronutrients. I had mushrooms, carrots, spinach, zucchini. Um, I had beet juice in the morning, pure cranberry juice in the morning. I had blueberries, I had oranges, citrus fruits, and that was it. And the salmon, steak sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah, even the, the cranberry juice, you're, getting, you're replacing your iodine, your thyroid's <laughs> functioning better, you're not having to lower your calories, you don't have uh, no. as much cardio. You, all these, it's like you're, you're, you're working with your body, not against it, right? Like yeah. Everybody's always fighting their body. body. Correct. Right, right. 100%, 100%. There's a big yeah. difference between forcing your body to do something which doesn't always work well, and right. it sure as hell doesn't feel good. <laughs> right. right. Oh no, that, most definitely. I, 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 so I wasn't. I wasn't as stubborn. I think a lot of people are more stubborn, and they'll go through the preps. But I had one that was just. I, I looked. I, I looked looked pretty good. I was really sucked down though, and I just couldn't stand up. It was just a, a tilapia broccoli chicken diet. I, I, I was having trouble standing up. You know, there's one of those where you're laying in bed and you're like, all right, I gotta go pee, and you're like trying to psych yourself up to do it. And, uh, the fatigue was just, it just didn't feel right. You know, it just like, it felt like, uh, uh and I know bodybuilding is in a natural state, but, and then I can say anecdotally when I switched to those different food choices, again, myself too, 
is it, it just feels like you're not fighting as much and, and, and things, you know, if you can sleep correctly, you're, you're giving a body, your body what it needs to recover and to be able to do this versus taking those things away that are essential for uh, the process. If that, if that makes yeah, sense. And people don't understand that like a lot of the vitamins and minerals and everything that uses, it uses for your whole body system. Like, your whole, all the processes in your body of utilizing those nutrients for energy and for right. repair and reduce inflammation. When you have high inflammation, you're not having those cofactors to help you break down the food. Your body just doesn't work as well. Right. And, you know, I hate when people just go, oh, that's why I took a multivitamin. Oh, oh. doesn't work, same dude. No, like no. Studies, in my whole thesis and all the studies I've done, my uh, reviewed in my master's class talking about vitamins and minerals, um, well, this is interesting. This is obviously, you can research this. This is kind of yeah. not new. Where people who have cancer who ate a, a wide variety of fruits and vegetables had a lower mo- mortality and morbidity rate than the opposite people who just ate, took, took supplements. And the ones who just took multivitamins and minerals and mineral supplements and did not have the same variety of fruits and vegetables had a much higher increase in mortality and uh, morbidity rate than the group that ate fruits and vegetables and had yeah, any yeah. supplements. So, like, there's something synergistic about food. They don't know why, but there's something synergistic about food and that it works that it's better for you than a supplement. A supplement's right. to remedy deficiency. It's not to replace your broccoli. <laughs> right, right, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think, um, I've, heard, I've heard that about calcium. There was a study with calcium where the supplement uh, increased all-cause mortality versus consuming from food lowered all-cause mortality. I don't know. I, I never looked at the paper. Yeah, yeah, because it probably hardens the, you know, you can get calcium build up. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, and I think, yeah, there's, like you said, there's certain coenzymes, cofactors that help us to be able to utilize the nutrients in those foods. Like when people talk like B12 supplements being like really, um, you know, not well digested or they, you only get a certain amount. I, I can only imagine I'm not speaking from... Uh, no, for sure. That's why your pee's like neon yellow. It's like you yeah. can't absorb all that all those B vitamins all at once. Right, right. Um, and you just said it too. It's like, and this is the most common eh, response to something I get asked. Hey, Chris, do you think I should take calcium? I don't know. Do you have osteoporosis in your family? Do you have low blood calcium level? Does your diet deficient in calcium? Right. And usually all of your answers are no. Right. Like, don't just take a supplement just to take a supplement, take it, yeah. you know, like make sure if you want to take a basic multi once per day, that's very basic, meaning it has like maybe a hundred percent of the RDA. Sure. Don't take a supplement that has 10,000 uh, percent of the RDA and load up on super physiological doses of uh, vitamins and minerals thinking it's going to do you good. It's probably going to do harm in the long run. Right. <clears throat> Most definitely. Yeah. I, I like that, that approach. It's like, this is kind of how I like to look at things is like observe a need for something like that. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and then too, always look at your, I mean, this is, you know, kind of backwards, but I always say, always look at your diet first, you know, and I think you're the same way. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people, unfortunately, you know, how people are, they like convenience and they're like, Oh, I don't want to yeah. do that for this. Or I don't want to eat that. And like, well, then you might want to consider taking a vitamin D calcium supplement. Yeah. Um, it's like get them to do what, what they can yeah. or what they right. want to. Correct. <laughs> All right. uh, Well, and then I wanted to go on. I kind of know how you're going to answer this, but I think some people need to hear it. Uh, Carbohydrates, are are they the reason why uh, we're all, you know, America as a whole is is obese or not? You know, there's a large percentage of of obesity and obesity related diseases um, or, or, you know, 
or, or are they good or bad for us? What, what's the, what's, what's your take on carbohydrates? Do are, are carbohydrates itself the reason why America's overweight? I'm going to say no. And I'm going to say it's because it's just plain and simple, the overconsumption of calories total, of course. Yep. However, sugar, more and more research has come out. Sugar is horrendous for you. Okay. High people who have high intakes of sugar associated with the increased risk of dementia and Alzheimer's later in life. Um, so like there's finding that sugar is toxic to the brain. Carbohydrates are like they do in sugar. They do cause inflammation. If you're eating a very high refined sugar diet, carbohydrate diet, and you're in excess calories, probably not getting a lot of micronutrients, like right. you're living a very inflammatory diet. Um, right. They used to demonize protein and saturated fat, and they realized that was all political propaganda crap, right. um, which is unfortunate because now we're figuring out now how corrupt those recommendations were. No wonder, no wonder people don't uh, trust the USDA and the recommendations because they keep changing them all the time, right? Um, but I do believe the vast majority of people are probably over-consuming carbohydrates. Um, and I do believe that if you're a general population person, I do believe that your carbohydrate intake should not be very high. It sh- I think it should be around 45 to 50% max of your okay. total total intake. Right. And sometimes, some cases, maybe even lower. I think fat should come from healthy sources, and I think people should actually eat um, a decent amount of protein. Um, I know a recent study came out. I, I, I'm not going to spit out stats, but it basically was saying that debunking the myth that people consume too much protein overall in the United States, that's actually untrue. Yeah. A large percent of people are still under the RDA per day on average. Right. right. The protein intake. I mean, yeah. I, I know my mom is almost every day. <laughs> right. You know, muffin for breakfast goes out for lunch, grilled cheese, you know what I mean? Uh, and it's like, I work at, and for dinner, it's pasta. I can say anecdotally, I work at a restaurant uh, and it's kind of a health food restaurant. And uh, I'll, uh, you know, I always ask, you know, did you want protein with your dish? And I, I mean, uh, like at least 80% of the people say no, there's enough protein in that. And it's like potatoes or like hemp seeds. And I'm like, yeah, all right. I mean, you're getting like three grams in this meal. You know that, right? Like, or, you know, maybe five, I, I don't know. So, and I, that's, that's my anecdotal experience. So I, I agree with that as on an anecdotal level that people don't eat enough protein. Oh, they don't. And it's unfortunate that so much of the nutrition recommendations, Netflix specials, it's oh my gosh. so politically biased. Yeah. And like, I, and I wish people in school had to take a course on what confirmation bias is, what bias is, right. you know, and how to read and understand it. Because I honestly don't know how people can watch some of the things they watch and not directly see how horrible it is. Right? right. Right. It's like, I don't know where you are in political scheme. And like, so I might be more one way, but I can easily look at both news stations and both see the bias. Right. right. I'm not looking at my news station and be like, no, that's fact. hundred percent. They're totally wrong. It's like, oh, I can see they're both full of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like, I can totally see like, the spin things are put on. And I think that's something that people would benefit the most in life on just about anything when it comes to reading articles, magazines, about nutrition, about cars, that there's a level of bias in almost everything. Now, when bias comes level where people skew results to, to reach their narrative, that's a problem, you know, because now you're portraying information to the public 
that's based on fact when it's actually based on preference. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. That happens it a lot. Right. Happens, especially now, man, with social media. It happens a real lot. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. I think, I think a big thing, no, but it's, it's funny. Cause we do like, I mean, I remember in high school, you know, having to have to create references for, you know, our, any of our projects, even like my English class. And it's like, uh, it's like, I don't know. I feel like some people just took nothing from that. You know, it's just like, okay, you need to make sure you're getting it from a credible source. Wikipedia isn't, you know, this news outlet isn't, you know, and they would make sure we get, and it's like, I feel like people have forgot that and they would, much rather watch, you know, a what the health and be like, right. Yep. That's it. That's, you know, everything in those tracks. Right. And I'm like, okay, well maybe is there like some, some sources? Can we check the, you know, where they got the information from? It goes to show how persuasive the general population is and how easily people can be swayed one way or another. And how you do that is you attach emotion to it. Yes. So if you're a vegan, you show animals being slaughtered. That's going to make people feel uneasy. Right. And then you start showing them some facts about how healthy vegetables are. And then you deliver your message. You attach right. the emotion to some fact, and then you get your message and then people are convinced. Right. Right. You pick, you pick the um, research that isn't, isn't from a meta-analysis. It's one study yeah. with, with a sample size of two people, you know, observational like, studies. Oh my Lord. Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah. But about, about the bias, like what you just said is when I was in an internship, we had to write this massive paper um, and she gave us 50 studies. I, we all, no, we had each had a topic. There's a group of four of us and we each had a topic signed to the group. I think mine, ours was like carbohydrate intake and prevalence of diabetes or something. And we each had 50 studies for our group. And she goes, you have the end of the week to figure out which studies can actually be used for a paper and tell us which ones are not and why. So obviously we go back, we're looking at p-values, we're looking at subject, we're looking at size, if it's yeah. a randomized controlled trial, double blind, and we're feeding all the good ones, we're like, all right, these 20 are great, these are crap. And then we go back and she goes, every single one of them is garbage. Oh, and we're like, what, what? And then she starts to break it down and then you're like, didn't see that, didn't see yeah. that, didn't see it's that. Like one, one little thing that you missed. Yeah, and then one of them was like real sneaky. So at the end, a lot of times they will say, you know, this was funded by or not funded because if it's funded by something that's directly related to what they're studying, it could be considered biased because obviously right, right. if I'm giving you a product to study, I'm, giving, I'm telling you Teddy's peanut butter is the best peanut butter and I'm from Teddy's and I'm funding the study, obviously. Yeah, so yeah. one of the studies was not funded by the food company or supplement that was being used, but it was funded by somebody who was a part owner of the stock of like of their stock or oh. share. Right. <laughs> so it's like, that's really, oh, yeah. you, you do have to do research on a research paper. You have to do right. a lot of research. On a research right. Paper. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's another thing though. If you look at like, I'll see some people repost things on like Instagram sometimes, and then you just go to look who wrote the paper and you're like, okay, well obviously like this is not, credible at all like it, it just takes a couple of clicks to be able to find out who who wrote it you know what i mean and it, it's not it's very not very much effort but you know it's crazy it's 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 sad it's it's sad because now in today's world there's too much information and we yeah. used to be there used to be a lot of information but we had to sift through what was available and it was easier to find more valid and then now because of social media 
it's created too much information, but now 80% of the information is incorrect. Right, right. And anybody can be uh, an influencer. Anybody can put information out there. And yep. generally speaking, the more, the more um, sexy recommendations are going to get the most likes, the most follows, the most people looking at them. Versus you're over here, you know, Chris is over here. Oh, uh, you just need to eat. Uh, so how do I lose weight? Oh, you just need to eat a cal calorie deficit and exercise with, with weights. And then someone over here is like, well, I got this, this, you know, incredible five times, uh, you know, you'll burn five, five times as much fat doing the ketogenic diet. You know, who are they going to listen to? Most people were kind of drawn to this guy over here, not yeah. someone saying you, you that. Can, you can have the most qualified nutrition professional on one side recommend something very methodical and precise nutrition plan. Then you have Kim Kardashian talking about this off-the-wall weight loss, and you have millions of people buy her product and believe attention, her over the guy who's got 20 years of experience in qualifications. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's my word trouble. That's my word trouble. Really, it really is. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think, but I think people like you are, are part of that, you know, educating people, at least in your community and the people you coach. And that's what you can do, right? It's, uh, you have, you have a good following. You have people that, that will listen to you. So, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do. You can't help people. Correct. Like that. And that being said, there is people are only going to learn if they're perceptive to learning. I don't right. creep. I don't go out and comment on other people's pages. I don't, I don't have time for that. Uh, yeah. You know, I focus on what I can and help people who are willing to listen, who want to change. And that's, that's really all you can do. You yeah. can't go out and change. In other words, if I like eating meat, I'm never going to change somebody who doesn't like eating meat to eat meat. Right. right. They're going to have to make the decision themselves or vice versa. You know, you can present them with all the evidence, but if they don't want to do it, Correct. then they don't want to do it. Right. No, I agree. Correct. Cool. Um, okay. Let me get into some other questions. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, no okay. So I've heard a couple coaches talk about this. Um, I have uh, so it's done some personal experiments with this, but um, oh, oh, okay. Wait, sorry. Uh, before I go on to that um, with the carbohydrate thing, I know we kind of went off on the tangent, but um, is that sugar when calories are controlled or, or is it when people are eating in a surplus with sugar that they're getting these, these poor outcomes? Well, actually, um, I listened to a podcast. There's actually a copy of a conference of doctors talk about the effects of sugar in the brain, the sugar in the internal systems, that if you control for body weight and the consumption of sugar is greater than, I don't remember what it was, I wish I do, it was greater than a certain percent of your total calories per day, your risk of these diseases are still the same. Okay. Um, so in other words, like even if you're in shape and you're fit and you run all the time, but you consume say 200 grams a day of confined sugar, you're still at higher risk for health outcomes than right. somebody who's sedentary doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. And then, and then if you're looking at that, if, if, if calories are controlled and they're, you know, maybe isocaloric, uh, eating 200 grams of sugar, most people aren't going to get the micros they need with, with that large amount of calories yeah. taking up their diet, right? Let me rephrase. The, the study in which they were referring to was long-term effects of right. dementia, Alzheimer's, heart disease, talking 50 years, 40 years down the line, mm -hmm. not talking about short outcome. When you control for calories, even if your calories are made of primary carbohydrates, most everybody will see a reduction in lipids. When you're in a calorie deficit, yeah. No matter what the breakdown is going to be, you're going to have a reduction of body fat. You're going to have lower blood pressure. You're going to have lower cholesterol. You're going to improve your blood markers. There's no question okay. when you control for calories. 
Um, but like if you're in excess calories, you know, that could potentially be something else, but that's just yeah. what the data supports now. And just so what right. you understand is just because data supports something doesn't mean it's fact. That just means at this point in time, that's what the information seems to suggest. Right. Um, and for those of you guys listening, it doesn't mean, oh, I get a box of Pop-Tarts or zero Pop-Tarts. Maybe just have one Pop-Tart, right? Like my, be, cautious. be cautious, be moderate and have a, have a balance. Right. That's definitely, I think that's, that's the great thing to preach, right? It's not. Yeah. Man, everybody's so concerned about black and white answers right. uh, or principles. Doesn't quite work that way, you know? Yeah, most definitely. Cool. Well, I'm glad you elaborated on that. I want to look more into that too because I, I I'm someone who looked into a lot of Lane stuff, and and you know he talks about calorie uh, health outcomes improving when calories are controlled and a lot of that. But I I would like to see some of that because I've heard some people yeah. saying that too about if, sugar. So if you go on YouTube and you type in I think it's California sugar study um, in YouTube. I, I know it was in California and it was a bunch, it was a doctor's conference talking about okay. the outcomes of sugar in long term. Uh, that's where I listened to it. It's like a two hour, yeah. two hour conference and, and check that out. Okay. Yeah, I will. Definitely. Cool. Um, well, so on the topic of carbohydrates in bodybuilding, um, do you think met, I've heard a lot of coaches using metformin. Do you think metformin has a place, say a bodybuilder is eating, you know, 500 plus grams of carbohydrates a day, um, or maybe something like uh, an exogenous insulin. Metformin, I'm going to say no. I've personally used it once. I didn't notice anything. Right. Um, I've had clients use it. They didn't report anything. Um, I've had clients be prescribed it for insulin sensitivity and to help them lose body fat during a dieting okay. phase. Um, you know, something like PCOS, you know something like that. Um, polycystic syndrome, for those who don't know what that is. Um, but insulin, I would say yes, but I do believe insulin's overplayed, meaning people think that insulin's this magic thing, just like growth's this magic thing. Let's right. be honest. For all you guys listening who haven't used performance-enhancing drugs or who have, it's always the drug that you haven't used that you think is the magical one. <laughs> yeah, That's like across the board. It's going gonna, it's gonna to so, change the game, right? Yeah, nothing changes the game. No. Um, so insulin, in my opinion, for most people, just gets them fat. Yeah. Because they think that, oh, my God, I'm going to take insulin, I'm going to take growth, I'm going to take testosterone, I'm going to get huge. And they just get super fat. <laughs> they get to a body weight 270, and they die all the way down to like four pounds heavier above their last year stage weight. Right, right. Um, however, there are some people that seem to have a, a, a disadvantage in absorbing a certain amount of food. I've had clients um, – use insulin before and it, it was a game changer because they were eating 700 carbs a day and nothing's happening. Right. Nothing. Their insulin sensitivity, even insulin sensitivity test was still fine. They weren't using a lot of growth, but when they added insulin in just five, I use human R twice a day, they started putting on weight and good weight. Yeah, it's yeah. like the body was able to absorb it. Those body types ended up being those very ectomorphic looking types where okay, they're kind of lean all the time. They can eat whatever they want and they just don't gain crazy amount of body fat. The biggest mistake is you get the people who gain body fat relatively easy and they want to use insulin. Yeah. <laughs> if you gain body fat relatively easy and we're just weight in general and you start eating more carbohydrates and getting insulin, you will get super fat, yeah. super fast. Right. You know? Um, but and then some of those protocol for insulin, I think is just out of control. I'm not yeah. going to say his name, but, um, you know, <laughs> recommending exactly 80 units of Lantus a day, 30 units human R per day, 
And it's just, I mean, at some point, I think some of these coaches really honestly don't give a shit about anybody's health. It's just, if they die, they die. And let's just give them 3,000 milligrams a week of androgens, give them all this food, all this insulin, all this growth, and seven out of 10 people are going to grow. Yeah. One person's going to die, and the <laughs> other people are not going to get any results, you know? Right. So in some degree, there, there's a lot of that going on, even with some of these top coaches. Right, right. Yeah, they will just throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks, and sometimes it does. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, oh, sweet, something worked. Perfect. Yeah. You're, 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 you're a magician. I can't, I can't tell you what of, of the, the 15 things I have you taking worked, but one of them did. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. Okay. And then that's one thing I think has changed a lot. When I first started bodybuilding in 2005, the drug use then was not out of control at a local level. Right. People were using 400 megs a test a week, 300 megs a deck a week, um, very basic dosages, and people were growing. 750 test was like a good amount. That's a, an experienced cycle. Yeah. Yeah. 250 every other day. And then all of a sudden, I see people recently who were just like their first year of bodybuilding and they're running 800 megs a day at trend, 800 milligrams a week of trend. I'm just like, what on earth is happening? And I yeah. and look at them, and they're not even 225 pounds. Right. It's just like, dude, they're, they're not getting it. They're but I think if there's a, this disillusioned, uh, you know, thought process that that's what the pros are taking. And it's funny because there are pros that are literally telling people what they are taking. And then people are like, nope, he's lying. I'm like, what incentive does he have to lie? He's already telling you that he's using hormones. Like, uh, it's just wild to me. For dude, sure. I, know, I know pros personally really well that use so little that if I said that, even my own friends would laugh at me and say I'm lying. Yeah. But I believe them because when you have genetic freaks, it's kind of like if you're born a Ferrari, you don't need to do too much to it to make it go faster. Right, right, right. If you were born a Volkswagen Beetle, guys, you can do whatever you want to that. It's still going to be a Volkswagen Beetle. Right. And that's where I think people get the idea that like, oh, that I can be that Ferrari. It's like, no, you're never going to be that Ferrari. Right. No matter what, you're going to die in the process. Right. Some people, genetics reign supreme, man. I've had natural guys, 100% natural, win NPC shows in bodybuilding. Yeah. They win. And then that one of the guys who was natural just took 50 megs of Winstrol for six weeks, the last six weeks into that show, and destroyed the whole entire show. Yeah. What? Genetics, you know? Right, right. Most definitely. Yeah, that's uh, – I, 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 I like that tangent because I think it's important that that's said. I think you know, yeah, people dude. are just jumping at the drugs and just thinking that's that's the – And the best analogy is ever. It's like if you put 50 grand of modifications into Honda Civic, do you think that Honda Civic's going to go 2,000 miles, 200,000 miles before it dies? Yeah. No. It's going to die much – <laughs> right. Lifespan, you know? but it, it's much more morbid when you're talking about human lives, when people are like, Oh, I'm taking a gram of trend. You're like, there's no way there are no repercussions for that. Like, I feel like no people think there aren't, no you know? Well, there's a lot more people that pass away in bodybuilding that even people know about. I mean, just last year I heard about three people locally within the Northeast pass away, but it was never reported all yeah. under the age of 35. Yeah. You know, um, but it doesn't really, Dave Plummer doesn't know them or it doesn't get reached out, but a lot more people are dying than people think there are. Um, yeah. And they think it's not consequence or they just go, it's not going to happen to me or so-and-so right. is doing it so I can do it too. Yeah. It's madness, and, I, man. and I hate what that does to the actual like sport, you know, because there are people who yeah. do it safely, right? 
And so yeah. you have these, you now everybody's like, oh, bodybuilding is, is going to kill you and it's going to kill you young. And it's like, I mean, there's an inherent risk with that. But at the same time, there are people who are just being irresponsible. And then they're kind of, 100%. they're the people who get reported on the news. They're the people that, and, and, and it helps, it hurts our sport as a whole, I think, as far as being public and, and having some, you know, money coming to it and, and things like that. Yep. Those are the people that are taking Winstrol T3 Clen and DNP doing recreational drugs just to get ready for a cruise or a vacation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cool. Um, well, um, I know we kind of went off on tangent, but that was really important. But I wanted to say from my personal experience, I've used metformin. Um, it just hurt my digestion. As far as the mechanism of action, I think that we're, they, I've seen a little bit, but basically it just impedes carbohydrate absorption. I don't know if they're sure why or how that works. But as a bodybuilder, you probably don't want carbohydrate absorption to be impeded. You want to be using your carbohydrates, right? You don't want to just poop out your, your um uh, you, you, the right, all the rice you ate, you want it to be used for, you know, you know glycogen replenishment and things like that. Um, but I am one of those heavier bodybuilders that has used um, uh, exogenous insulin. Like I have a slower metabolism. I just noticed when I use growth hormone that um, I wake up and uh, sometimes my fasting glucose is really high. So um, I think I know a, a smart way to mitigate that is to keep my blood sugar at a, a good level. And so I have used Lantus to do that. I've experimented a little bit with it, but very, very small amounts. So I just wanted to say yeah, that. So on top of that, um, generally, if you look at some of the instructions on some of the ceramic kits, the farmer starts with growth, it will say administration should be done at night. And I would I usually assume doing it at night is because you're away from a particular food. So you're not eating, yeah. yeah, you're not taking growth, which is going to give you temporary insulin resistance and then ingesting 300 grams of carbohydrates, mm -hmm. which will send your blood super high. So right, right. I've always done it at night and nighttime. I've never had issues with fasting blood glucose being elevated. Okay. Um, um, but that's one way of doing it. Uh, yeah. But some people, another, another kind of myth is if you're taking an exogenous growth hormone and you're ingesting carbohydrates, they do not interfere with each other. Okay. Ingesting carbohydrates will affect your endogenous release of growth hormone. Some people but it's are better like, because you're right. So you're like, oh, I can't eat carbs near my growth hormone. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's endogenous. If you're taking a drug, it's different. Right. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I, I use it. I try to use it in fasting times. I just, um, I guess, I'm just doing more of an experiment with it. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, the main reason why I changed it is because I got sick and tired of being tired and sleepy. Yeah. So like, when I would take it at the end of the day, and I woke up, I would be more. You alert. sleep really well, right? Yeah, well, it can go both ways. You can get weird dreams where you're like, yeah, you're, so thick. you're like, feels like you're in that movie Inception. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I've gotten that too, for sure. Um, yeah, but, and, and, and I think too, is just, uh, I, I guess I was just playing off of the, you know, there are the, 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 the name that, that, did you, that shouldn't be said, but, you know, who are saying, okay, well, we're leaving the beta cells in the pancreas, right? Because we're throwing so many carbohydrates at it, like in an, kind of an inorganic state, you know, throwing five, 700, but, but I don't think the smart way to react to that is to throw like as much uh, to feed the insulin basically. Okay. Well now I'm going to add hundred grams of carbohydrates to my diet and add in 10 to 20 IUs of insulin. Like I feel like that's what people do and that's why they get fat, right? It's more yeah. of like, okay, I'm already eating this diet and I'm running maybe a little bit high blood sugars. Maybe to mitigate that something like an exogenous insulin might be smart, but let's not up the calories. Right. I mean, then obviously you can check your body fat, your insulin sensitivity first. There's, you have to observe an actual need for it, right? Like if you're too fat, then most likely you just need to lose weight. You don't need to add insulin on top of it. 
right? Correct, correct, 100%. They're, they're going overboard. They're not really addressing the problem in sensitivity. They're kind of overdoing it and eating extra carbs beyond what they need to cover that insulin. Yeah, most definitely. I think it's a lot of people do. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, blood, do you have, do you have any... Um, have you ever had to deal with like larger athletes and, um, and blood pressure? All the time. And believe it or not, it's not just older. It's more or less just genetics. I've had people under 190 pounds have blood pressure issues just because of genetics. Right. And honestly, the best way to go about it, I first, well, obviously, the first thing to do is to address it pharmacology-wise. If this particular compound raises your blood pressure, we're going to avoid that. Obviously, right, common right. sense. Right. Yeah. The, the second in line is body weight. So say if they are way overweight body fat wise for a bodybuilder, I would really tell them, listen, it's, let's get down to a reasonable body fat. So you're not carrying around 35 pounds of unnecessary weight on the body. Right. And then that, then maybe you can actually use those compounds that you can use to grow and not have that issue. The other third one is, Reducing stimulants. I'll be like, how do you guys use a lot of stimulants? And like, oh, I, you know, I'm drinking Red Bulls, Fiber Energies. Well, let's cut that in half and let's see how you feel. Yeah. In my experience, 80% was due to stimulants in conjunction oh, wow. with everything else they're using. So they're using whatever, eating food, being how they are in the off season. And I just cut the stimulants in half to sometimes going down to almost nothing but a cup of coffee. And their blood pressure went down significantly over three to four days. Okay. I'm like, great. And then the last one that I do doesn't really do much, but in some cases it does because obviously gear and growth can make you a little more sensitive to, you know, your whole fluid balance. Right. So I might cut their sodium intake back slightly okay. and tell them just to drink a little bit more water. When I say a little water, I'm talking like an extra liter a day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just to see if there's any effect. Right. Most of the time there's not. Most people believe that sodium, 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 blood pressure, blood pressure, blood pressure. The majority of people that have high blood pressure in relation to increased sodium intake is not very large. There's not many. It's usually like just 30. related to genetics and, the, and then the kidneys. The, yeah. Um, but, and then the last resort would be like a low, low dose of lisinopril. I go to your doctor, get the blood pressure taken care of, because I have quite a few clients on a low dose lisinopril to combat that blood pressure. But I, don't, I, do, I do not mess around with that. I have my clients check their blood pressure regularly, and if they are off, they're addressing it, or I'm not working with them. I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had one client, I have, you know, he was telling me blood pressure, and everything was fine, and he was lying to me. His blood pressure was really high, really high. So I noticed that he looked puffier than normal. Like, man, you look like you're very swollen like very swollen. He's like, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, my legs are pooling with fluid, look a little swollen. Oh no. I'm like, dude, you need to get blood work. Let's get some lab work done. All right. Well, why? I'm like, well, something's off, dude. Like I'm, I'm changing things and something's off. Yeah. Yeah. I will get it done. His crat is BUN were out of control. So then I'm like, dude, you really checking your blood pressure? He's like, well, that's the thing I've been checking, but it's really high. Like, well, what's really high? He's like, oh, sometimes it's 200 over like 150 or 200 over 125. And I'm like, guy, no, no. I go, we're done. We're done. We're done. That's it. I go, you're dropping all this crap. I didn't drop him as a client. I go, you're dropping all this stuff. We're going down to your 
your hormone replacement by your doctor. I go, we're getting rid of this, these foods. We're bringing your calories down. I go, I basically put them on somewhat of a renal diet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and watch things very carefully. I'm like, you're going to redo your labs again in two weeks and then again in six and again in eight. And we're going to make sure these numbers come back down because for those of you who don't know, the kidney doesn't recover like the liver does. Yeah. But the kidney can recover a little bit if what is going on is only acute and it wasn't chronic over a long time. So long story short, over 12 weeks, his numbers came back down to normal. But he did end up getting a small dose uh, of lisinopril by his doctor. Um, blood pressure is controlled. Kidney values renormalized. His body got rid of all that excess fluid within like yeah, six weeks. That's scary. That's scary. Yeah, man. That's how it happens. People just go, oh, two more weeks. I can be in that show. I'm almost there. You know, and yeah. then. That's a tough mindset, man, because I've, I've, I've experienced it sometimes too, where you just kind of like turn a blind eye to all the like the, the things that are, are going wrong because you're like, right, you know, I'm, I'm crushing it. You know, I'm, I'm hitting my meals. I'm, I'm, you know, doing the cycle or whatever. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, and especially if you haven't been checking regularly or you're just completely ignoring it, you know, it can get to a point where it's like that, where you're getting, I mean, hopefully not, not anything worse than that, but you know. Yeah. Or they go, I don't want to know. I'm like, no, no, no. You do you want to know. To. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it makes you perform better. I think if your health is good, you're going to feel better. You're going to kill it in the gym more. Like I just, it's just like this whole, you know. And not only that, man, it's like, I, I tell these people, I tell my young clients, and I know they don't get it because I wouldn't have either. Bodybuilding is a very small portion of your life. Yeah. There is a life after bodybuilding, believe it or not. And right, when right. you're there and say you're, you're, you're done bodybuilding and you have kids and you have a family and you moved away and you're into something else, you don't want to have a heart attack or be gross in a dialysis machine when you're 40 years old. Right. You know, it's like you're 40, that's half of your life. That's it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and, uh, it just comes from, you know, monitoring these things. I think, you know, you can't just take a bunch of stuff and then just hope that everything's going to be, you know, turn out all right. You, you, right. There's, there's an inherent risk that comes with this sport, right? Right. You can monitor it and you can make adjustments and still make ground. Yeah, but the biggest good. mistake people make that I find is they might say, you come to me and you're having issues with your health and you ask me what to do. And I say, competing's done this year. You need to do this, this, yes, get your health back in order and then do this. And you go, yeah, okay. And then you go ask somebody else the same question and you like his answer better. Yeah. And he goes, no, no, I had the same issue, but I'm fine. Look at me. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go with what he does. Hey, Dude, you know what that I've is? Had, I've, had, I've had clients come to me for, uh, you know, get their, get their kidneys back. And when I say kidneys were toast, I mean, I've seen clients come to me with liver values of a creatinine of freaking 18, uh, 18, I'm sorry, um, a BUN of like 28 and their, your, their creatinine is like 3.2, like really bad. Yeah. Their EGFR yeah. is down to 30. And I'm like, dude, you are, you are in renal failure. <laughs> like, like bodybuilding is not even a conversation right now. Conversation yeah. is to get your health back. And you know what? Crickets. Don't hear from them, you know? Right. But you know, yeah. you know what that is? It's, it's, it's confirmation bias, right? Yeah. I'm going to go to this guy over here because he says he's, he's, he supports my narrative that I'm telling myself, right? They don't want to hear anything that conflicts that. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough one, dude. It's like I, I, my biggest fear is having something happen to somebody and because of me. And, and that's yeah. one part of bodybuilding that I don't like is like, you know, we are doing things that are 
not great for us and we're pushing the envelope and that's part of the game. But right. we can be smart about it. But like my Sorry. biggest fear would be for something bad to happen with my clients because of something I recommend, you know? Yeah, most definitely. But I think, um, uh, you know, there are people out there who have been responsible for things and, and they've been responsible for a lot of things. And you just wonder how that maybe affects their conscience. Like, you know, do you just not think well, that's, about it? Like, dude, that's the thing, because I do believe, unfortunately, in this industry, there's not a lot of people who have a conscience. <laughs> I guess so. They just don't care because when you're looking you know, at dollar signs, right? Right. Well, think about it, dude. It's like, and, and not to work on bodybuilding. This is just a fact of bodybuilding is there's many people in bodybuilding that do it for different reasons. It's in a, it's a sport of glamor of a sport of look at me. So you attract a lot of narcissism. Yeah. You attract a lot of self-centeredness, a lot of selfishness, um, so you get that large pool of people. And amongst those people, they'll always start, like you said, money. They'll see their own needs as more important than anything else, anybody's else. So their decisions and their thought processes are centered around themselves. Right. And they don't care what happens to anybody around their circle as long as they are progressing forward and being better, you know? Yeah. And you see that. And obviously, that's everywhere in life, especially in politics, you know? But oh, yeah, most it, definitely. It, it, it's like, it's a lot in bodybuilding and that's, you know, once you're in it long enough and you start to see and meet people, you get to know who they are and you're like, Oh, I thought they were my hero. but not, you know? Oh, well, you know, I've, <laughs> I've learned that from just doing this, just, you know, reaching out people to, to have conversations <laughs> yeah. with them. And I just, you can tell who's, who's nice and who's not, or who's down to earth. Right. Just by asking yeah. them, Hey, yeah. you know, they'll be humble enough to come on my little show and talk to me for a little bit. Right. Yeah, it, it's funny you say that. It's I always think too. Like I was telling Evan, and Evan was made a conversation about about the same exact thing when we first started. Uh, when I first started bodybuilding, about bodybuilding, he's like, just be careful, you know, you know who you interact with, you know, because not everybody's who they say they are. I'm like, what's he talking yeah. about? Now I know what he means. But you're right. You know right away who's like legit. You know, I'm like yeah, yeah. John Miller's is legit. You know, Evan's legit. Jose Raymond's legit. You know, there's a lot of people that are just down to earth, good people that would be the same person with or without bodybuilding. Right. You meet them at an expo and you're like, oh, this isn't the person I know on social media. Sometimes, sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? That's all the time. All I, the time. I've gone, I went to a couple. I stopped going to expos, but I went to a couple and I was like, man, this is weird. Like, it's totally not the way it is. <laughs> it's totally weird. It's a Instagram, some sort of alternate universe fantasy world. Right. Right. Well, yeah, you have your alternate Instagram persona, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate you coming on because I could be, I could have been a total uh, weirdo. So, um, Hey, no worries, man. I, I just wanted to get uh, your um, just two more questions, if that's all right. Yeah, no problem, dude. Cool. Um, so uh, I wanted to, to talk. I, I, I've heard you talk about it a little bit. What what is kind of your approach to training, like how you program for your clients? Um, yeah, I just I kind of wanted to know how you do that. Training. All right. So my philosophy on training with helping clients has changed over the years. I used to believe it was a lot more about controlling somebody's volume and focusing on intensity. Um, which and sometimes is a factor because I believe a lot of people are doing too much junk volume, just yeah. worthless sets, repetitive in and out, but they're not carrying the intensity they need. Mm -hmm. That's one aspect. But lately, say in the last three or four years, I really just really kind of found out that people's execution of movements is where people fall short on the most. Mm -hmm. Why is Jay Cutler in his videos using dumbbells anywhere from 140 to 170 on presses, right? But I got guys at my gym who are legitimately half of his size doing the same weight. Right. But that's weird. It's weird. 
because there's a major difference between weightlifting and bodybuilding. Right. Choosing weight and moving a particular uh, moving in a particular fashion to isolate a muscle to get it to respond and grow. Um, execution, I think, is the biggest failed concept that people just don't grasp. They see a pro do five sets of this, six sets of this, six sets of that, and they try to mimic them. What they don't understand is, pay close attention to is, you might look at five different bodybuilders do a lap pull down, and then one person might be doing a pull down slightly different, and you notice they're different. While most people look at all six bodybuilders doing lap pull down, and it just looks like a lap pull down to them, right? They're not aware how much they're leaning back. Are they keeping their core tight as they're pulling the arm in front of them, recruiting more lats? Are they pulling with their elbows and bring their shoulder blades together? They're not paying attention to small details of how a movement is actually executed. Yeah, yeah. And that is what I focus on a lot with my clients um, because I will immediately have them send me videos of their pressing movements, their rowing movements, leg movements, and yeah. 99% of the time, there's issues with all of them. You know, right. And I usually will start with, hey, which exercise or body part doesn't respond well? Well, well, I can't get my upper chest to recruit. Okay, great. Send me a video of your upper chest. And sure enough, you'll see the muscle imbalance, you know, making it harder to feel the upper chest because they're not getting proper function of the shoulder. Then you see them, how they're pressing. They're worrying about the weight only, not what it feels like. Oh, my quarter, super spins are bothering me. Quarter reps. Yeah, quarter reps. Because they're paying attention to the weight. They're using the weight as a measure of success and progression. Right. When that's not the only measure of progress it's it, yeah it's most definitely a part but it's just not everything right right and especially if they're trying to do every week i haven't gotten stronger in two weeks shit man i've gotten stronger in six months <laughs> yeah 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 well and 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 and, and strong they'll be like okay well i'm gonna go from a 225 bench press to a you know 275 in a week like they're like i'll slap some some extra weight on there like there's no uh you know right progression is very very like it doesn't happen like that unless you know right. you're a new bodybuilder and you just started working out right Correct. And then the third aspect of that after you address the volume, the intensity, um, is, and the execution is a cumulative volume over time. Yeah. We're like, you know, uh, being able to increase volume and frequency of a, per, a particular uh, body part that's not responding or you know, responding too well. Mm -hmm. Personally, I've never liked push-pull legs. I don't like it. I don't have fun with it. It's not for me. I've yeah. always utilized a bro split but I've increased okay. frequency of a body part by adding in back to shoulder day. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Adding in extra lateral raises to chest day. Yeah. yeah. So doing things like that, I've never, ever done, you know, a four day split or three day split, nothing like that. The, the closest yeah. split I've ever done would be two days on one day off, two days on one day off, two days on one day off. Yeah. I, I've heard you, I, I saw that, that uh, video that day in the life where you were talking about, that's what you were running. Right. Yeah, and I've always done that. Even like, you know, from the first time I stepped on stage at 170 with kind of poor condition to when I stepped on stage at 204 pounds with crazy condition, same bro split five days a week. Yeah, yeah. Once a week, you know, like bro splits do work. I mean, I put 40 pounds of muscle on my physique doing bro splits, just the standard, right. basic, boring, stupid, repetitive, same exercises for five, six years, and it works. Right. Um, well, I like, like you said, the, the same exercises, right? You, you, you're not yeah. like, I, I need to do something different every time I step in the gym. No, you know, it's like the, people go, well, don't you keep the body guessing? Yes and no, 
you don't need to change the body every, I think changing exercise every week is a mistake if it's a multi-joint exercise. Single joint exercise, you can get away with changing probably every week. But if you're changing from a front squat to a back squat to a hack squat, front squat, back squat, you have that level of learning curve, right? right it's right. like you have a front squat in three weeks, and then you do it, it's going to be a little awkward. And then the second week you do it, and you're much stronger because that yeah. gap between doing them is, is decreased. So I think same exercises for three to four weeks is not a problem and multi-joint movements. Um, but back in the day, dude, I, I really, the majority of weight I put my body was really the same exercises. Yeah. Legs was always lunges, front squats, half squats. I did that for like five years. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. I move up in weight significantly, but that's, that's it. Yeah. If it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that I, I'm happy to say I always understood. I think people get derailed today when they go, Oh, hypertrophy coach is doing this. Oh, Dennis, uh, Dennis James is doing this. Oh, oh I, I see so-and-so doing this. Oh, maybe I should be doing that. I've never been one of those people. Right. I'm like, that's great. That's cool. But this is what's been working. Or right, I, might right. somebody, I might see somebody do a variation of a press and be like, maybe I'll try that particular exercise, but I never don't done change, training or, program change the whole down. thing. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think, well, I yeah. think, you know, okay. So if, if you start a program and you're like, okay, I'm not making progress anymore. And then you see hypertrophy coach doing this shoulder sleep. You're like, Oh man, my shoulders aren't growing. Instead of looking at what's wrong here, why don't I just do everything differently? It's like, well, you could, you know, you could have this thing that works for you because you're, you know, if you constantly alter it, you don't know what works and what doesn't. Right. Like yeah, right. That makes sense. and address the individual problem in the program. If your front right. delts are having issues being developed, then change out what you're doing for your front delts. Yeah, yeah. Don't change out what you're doing for back and the whole entire shoulder program. If your lateral raise movements and your rear movements are going great, your upright rows, just change out that and then progress. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Jay, uh, Jay Culler said that one interview. He's like, I have all these weird angles and bands people do today. He goes, yeah. He goes, I did like the same 30 exercises over and over again for like 20 years. <laughs> I, I watched some, you know, as I came up, it was like, it was Jay Cutler mostly, or as I was starting bodybuilding. And I watched him do the hammer press in like how many videos, the inclined hammer press. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's kind of just a, you know, an observation of mine, but that's cool. Yeah, people pay, I, I say this to people too, is people spend too much time paying attention to the wrong details. Yeah. All your energy should be spent towards how your body is responding and how it's progressing based on certain biofeedback markers. And then you implement a change through that. Don't be paying attention and wondering why. Well, I had pizza last night and I had a good workout today. I wonder what that's from. I wonder, dude, it's not wasting time thinking about unrelevant stuff. Just move yeah. on. You know what I mean? Like pay attention to the stuff that matters. Right. You know? The basic fundamental yeah. things, right? Yeah. Like you're saying, yeah. the form and exercise selection and things like that. Cool. Um, I guess that's pretty much it. Oh, I wanted to defend uh, inter-workout supplements. I wanted, you, you, you said that you, um, you, you could give or take with them, right? Like, yeah. So this is my take on them. If you are on a low, if you're in a caloric deficit, of course they're going to work wonderfully well. Right. If right. you're using insulin pre-workout, of course you need to feed your insulin. Yeah. Um, personally, me using them, not using them, I feel 100% better not using them. Yeah. Um, I, I feel wonderful. I, I don't feel, I don't, sometimes the sweet taste gets to my head 
sometimes having that liquid of carbohydrates in my belly gets get, gets to me, or yeah, it might cause me to have a premature spike and a crash in the middle of my workout, depending yeah. on how much I'm drinking when. Um, I've tried 20 carbs, 80 carbs, 100 carbs, done it all, until one day I decided, like, you know what, Evan never does it, and never, never, <laughs> never really has. So I'm like, dude, I'm just going to scrap it for a little bit, and then right, right. I noticed within like two days, I'm like, dude, my workouts are awesome. Just drink yeah. water. And I felt great. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to keep it like that. So then I reintroduced it just to see if, because that's the best way to find out if it worked or not, right? Use it, take it away, and then bring it back. So then I brought it back, and my workout was horrible. And I'm like, oh, I just don't feel the same. Like I, feel like the, I feel like the digestion for me personally during the workout really doesn't do much. Um, and not to mention, in your off-season, you're eating that much food. You shouldn't really have a problem performance anyway, right? right. And then a lot of my research uh, through school and intracarbohydrate work consumption supplementation with cyclists and talking about what was beneficial, what was not. It's like all the studies done with intra-workout nutrition uh, at the time were done with Olympic athletes who were doing near 80% VO2 max for 90 minutes straight, right? Right, right, right. So like they were to deplete their whole freaking body fast. So their consumption was about a gram of carbs per minute um, was the max amount they could utilize unless they added fructose right, mixture. Right. Yeah, I've read, the, I've read some of that study. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so then they could absorb more and more have more sustainable. But I'm like, I'm doing biceps today and triceps. So like, it's not like I'm going to be taxing my system too hard where yeah. I need 50 grams of carbs, right? right? Only to consume another 50, 100 carbs my post-workout, post-workout. drink. I didn't right. scrap it. Well, <laughs> I do use one. Uh, I was just going to say um, a good application of it is not performance-based. I mean, it is, but just getting extra carbohydrate calories in an off-season state where you need more food. That was the only defense that I wanted to say yeah, yeah. to you. You know what I mean? Like if you if yeah. you, you can get an extra 50 to 100, either intra or even post, right? Um, just a liquid calories where you don't have to actually eat them. Um, that's just the only thing I wanted to throw in there. Right, and, I, and I agree. And this is, you know, and some of the things I say, for those listening, it's like, I'm not sitting there telling everybody they shouldn't be doing it. It's right, just right. my belief. I mean, I have clients that still use it. Yeah. And okay. usually what I say is, hey, Chris, how do you feel about this? I'll tell you how I feel. And then I'll ask them, well, how do you feel when using it? And they go, well, Chris, when I use cyclic dextrins, I get a great pump. I'm like, I go, well, then, Jake, we're going to keep it. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> if it's working and you feel that way, we're going to keep it. Who gives a right. shit what I believe and feel? Right, right, if right. you're feeling that, you're going to keep that. <clears throat> yeah, most definitely. Well, that's what you've come to based off of the data that you've seen and then your anecdotal experience, right? Right, yeah. And in the end of the day, which I hate, which I think more, I wish more coaches did, is having more of a, a, a liberal ideology, not politically, liberal ideology in the sense of there's more, uh, there's, there's more gray area, Right. Yeah. that you can float around in and it's not cut and dry where some people are like, I, you don't want, you're not doing that. It's stupid. Don't do that. Nobody should do that. I think that's a bad statement. You know, yeah. it's like saying that one thing is not going to work for anybody. I, I think that everything should be very individualized. And even if it doesn't work and every single scientific piece of paper says it's crap, but that person's having a placebo effect, then it's going to work. Yeah. Because and we know the placebo is powerful. Right, right. Most of, and then, then there's a possibility we just lack the data for it currently. I mean, there's so many things that we haven't actually proven 
um, or we're still learning about. I mean, it, it's it's the, this whole the nutrition, the training, uh, pharmacology. We have like almost no good data on. It seems like yeah. in so, nutrition, we don't know we don't know much either, especially the gut, the microbiome. Like microbiome, we don't yeah. Know anything about that. Well, and it's, it's hard that. to follow someone for 80 years and see what they ate their whole lifetime and then say, oh, this is, you know, yeah. it's, that's, that's probably extremely expensive and very, very, you know, hard to do. Right. Oh, this is, this is a good thing about, this is, a, this is how mean we are. So one of our friends growing up, this is years ago, he's kept trying to be like, dude, I, I want to run, I want to take Anadrol. I want to do Anadrol. I'm like, dude, stop. I go, no, just stay natural. Do it. So finally, he bugged us so much. So we're like, dude, let's just give him lysine pills. Like, you know, <laughs> you know ask lysine. Yeah, yeah. Like, He's got to take 50 milligrams twice a day and to do a four-week cycle. So we put it in a bottle, and we just, like, labeled it. You know, it was unlabeled. And we're like, dude, we got it from this guy. It's really strong. He's like, yeah, all right, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So three days later, we hear from him. He's like, dude, I broke every PR last week. He's like, my yeah. deadlift went up 20 pounds. I squats up 30 pounds. He was like, bench more, 10 pounds more. He goes, this stuff's great. I feel awesome. Placebo. That's <laughs> like, wild, yeah. That's, that's a perfect example of like sometimes like in how much you believe in something, how much it will yeah. happen, you know? And yeah. I love this story. You know this one. It's like once the four-minute mile was broken, everybody broke it a week later, yeah. right? It takes yeah. one person to do it. And then you're going to have a hundred people in the next year do the same thing. They know they're they're, they're capable of that. I mean, look at look at powerlifting right now. How far does did that right now? Everybody's chasing it, and someone's going to break it eventually. That's just how it works, right? It's like thousand pounds, like you know, thirty years ago, it's impossible. Right. Oh, okay. And then now it's like, dude, ten more years, someone's going to be doing fifteen hundred. Yeah, you know? I'm sure they've said the same about the the top level of bodybuilders now. There's no no way it could be you know two eighty shredded. There's no way it could be three. I mean, we, this, if we've gone to prove i mean i don't know how much further we can push that but ronnie coleman right 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 exactly so yeah, yeah that's cool definitely um okay well uh last thing um you you run a, a, a nutrition business with your wife and i see you guys' videos and uh kind of just like an unrelated bodybuilding question it kind of is though because i feel like people can't they feel like they cannot have a relationship in bodybuild and a lot of time it's just like they're they're you know either too um, drawn into their bodybuilding or maybe there's there's more selfishness going on but I just wanted to ask um, how like would you if you could give maybe some people uh, keys to success uh, ha having a relationship and maybe doing that while bodybuilding I mean the fact that you guys run a business together says a lot I think all right so well, first of all we are not the norm we're both yeah, yeah. extremely ambitious and both extremely restless what I mean by that is if it's Friday night and I'm working late, and she comes over, she goes, what are you doing to work? I'm like, tonight, my wife nine. She goes, okay, no problem. And she runs back in her office, and she starts working more, right? <laughs> so we're the same person. We're not like yeah, ever yeah. like, wait, you're doing that now? Come on. Right, um, right. But my experience with my clients, and you know, my own personal experience in my life relationships and the friends I've known, bodybuilding and being partners with somebody else does in bodybuilding is very hard. Mm -hmm. There's no way around it. There just isn't. Unless you're a genetic freak and you don't need to apply yourself as much to the off-season contest prep and be detached emotionally to get to that condition, then you'd be fine, provided you're a girl or, you know, whoever, if you're a girl and there's a guy, whatever, whatever people do today. Um, if they are into partying, going out, and staying out late, it's probably not going to work. 
Yeah. Right. Unless they're okay with being independent and going out with their friends and you're okay with being home. It's just not, it's really vital when there is some level of the, of the same interest of eating healthy together, being homebodies together, maybe competing together, but you don't have to be competing together, but it is a standard relationship either way. You know, it's just like when I'm in prep, I'm emotionally detached. Yeah. I am so driven and focused on what I'm doing. There is no lovey time. I don't want to have sex. Like I'm just focused on what I'm focused on. That's it. I have time for small talk. I don't have time to bullshit. I don't want to watch TV. You know, that's just me. And I know a lot of my clients and friends are the same way. And sometimes their spouses reach out to me and they're like, oh, I think so-and-so is cheating on me. Uh, I'm like, no, he's not cheating on you. It's normal. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. And you're starving. You don't, want to, you don't want to have sex. And they're grouchy and they're cranky. That's normal. Um, it is only for three months. But, I mean, it is hard. There's no question. Right. And, and this is the last segment to that. Competing to be the best you could possibly be and continuing doing it year after year is extremely hard on the opposite person. And that doesn't matter if you're into bodybuilding, strongman, or anything. If you are dedicated, right, recyclers, right. If you're dedicated to be the best you possibly could be, and that is what your true passion is 24 seven, 365 days a year, that's gonna be hard in any type of relationship. Right. If you are competing just for fun, then it's just here and there, and it's not a big deal. So I have some clients that will compete every year, but the other eight months of the year, they're kind of training for fun, eating three meals a day, no biggie, yeah. going out, having fun, living life. Oh, I'm going to go compete again. But they're not hell-bent on being like, I want to be in a magazine cover. I want to be sponsored. I want to win Olympia. they just competing for fun. And that's a different mentality. Um, but it also really depends on the individual's uh, needs in a relationship. If they are very needing of, a, needing of attention and being priority, that's going to be difficult because right. no matter what, if you're into bodybuilding, that takes priority. And the female sometimes feels that, oh, everything in his life just is bodybuilding matters and I don't matter, right? Right. Um, it is very difficult. And, and for the advice for people listening, I would really would suggest that you really sit down and have a talk um, about, you know, what you guys need in the relationship and <clears throat> what you don't need during preparation or even pr- uh, forewarn them. I've had a lot of issues with my clients in their relationships where they reach out to me and they're like, Chris, what do I do? I'm fighting all the time. You know, I don't know if I can do this prep any longer. It, it, the house is a mess. And I'm like, dude, you just got to sit down and like, just don't talk to her angrily thinking that she's trying to yeah. manipulate fail. Like you see where she's coming from and try to get her to see where you're coming from. So you guys can, can come up with a plan Common ground, and be yeah. on the same page, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and long story short, he ended up doing fine. And, and after that relationship, after they had that talk, it worked. But yeah. the communication is vital, you know? Right, right. Well, and then I think, especially in a prep environment, if like, like I, I, I become like neurotic, like I, things need to be clean in a certain spot. If I walk in the house and things are not in that spot, I get like just so pent. And uh, I've been with my, my girlfriend for uh, five and a half years or so. She is a bodybuilder. But she is is very flexible, like as far as like, you know, like you said, like, well, we're going out or we're not, you know, she's just homebody, like totally chill, like she's understanding. And then the thing is, like you said, is just communication. That's just so huge. I mean, just like right. setting, sitting down and saying like, if, if that, that what you're saying, where like, they're like, oh, I think he's cheating on me. Like, 
well, if, if that person just sat down with their significant other and just said, Hey, this is what this is, you know, especially if it's a new thing for them, you know, lay out times to maybe have, have that outside of a prep environment where you guys go out and you do normal things together, you know, having that balance I'm mean, in a context of, I guess this would be even a context of a bodybuilding couple where you guys set aside time for each other. But that, that communication is just huge, man. Like you can't, yeah. you cannot put yeah. expectations on other people. You can't expect yeah. them to know that you are upset or, or, or you, you just know. said it. Expectations are really the cause of most fights because you're expecting her to react a certain way or be sympathetic or compassionate right. to your situation, but they don't know your situation. And you're ex- and once yeah. expectations not meet, you get angry, then you explode, and she gets explode, and it's a mess. Right. So it's have that open dialogue, even if you don't want to have it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you definitely. know. And, right. and the last thing I would say this is, and this is, I think one of the problems in, in uh, bodybuilding, and I know Dave Holmes said this is, you get a bunch of men who are using anabolics. You get even women who are using anabolics. There's a lot of hormones in the air. Okay. Yeah. You get a lot of you get a lot of uh, unfortunately infidelity, and you get a lot of um, people getting inappropriate inappropriate relationships, and relationships break apart. And I think it's very important that people set boundaries within the relationship in the industry, because I think there's a lot of inappropriateness that happens on the side that traps some men and women, and they end up derailing, destroying the relationship, and they regret it after. You know? Yeah. Um, I think that's very important to consider and keep keep your your you know stay in your own lane, grass not green on the other side. And I've seen it too many times, unfortunately. Um, and then the last thing is don't get mad at your significant other. If you never competed before when you first started dating and you decide to compete and you don't understand why he or she doesn't compete with you, you met her before you were competing. Right, right. <laughs> right? So accept that they're not going to be into it. Because I had that, that before where I don't know why she doesn't eat healthy. I'm like, dude, just let her do her thing. Like, like, yeah, most definitely. You do your thing, let her do no, her I mean, thing. Okay. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I like we we had that that talk before. You know, this is what I do. Like, you know, this is the, this is what you're stepping into, right? And I, I still have that sometimes where I'm like, man, you know, I, I get like frustrated or something, especially in a prep environment where I'm eating this and she's over here eating ice cream, and I'm like, you know, you kind of like upset, and you're like, just like I, I just tell myself, like, just stop it. Like, she doesn't, she's not a bodybuilder. She doesn't need to be bodybuilding. It's yeah. her own thing, right? Like, yeah. to be ra- try to be rational in that sense, right? It's just like not everybody like is gonna wants to be a bodybuilder you know people want to enjoy right. ice cream and stuff like that that's on them that's you know it, t- it takes a lot of insight and a lot of control of your own thought process to be able right. to see that which well, not a lot of people can do that yeah with the grass is greener thing too you know it's like if you're not taking care of home base then the grass always does seem greener right and then after the fact it never is like damn i accept in shit i'm like yeah man you sure did <laughs> <laughs> all right cool oh I'll, I'll let you get out of here man i really appreciate you being on for so long um, yeah, no, are we, are we going to see you on stage anytime soon or what's the deal with that? Uh, I'm not sure. As of now, we're, we've been focusing really on business, um, yeah, yeah. uh, doing a lot more nutrition related disease and stuff like that. And cool. we're working on moving out of Connecticut. Um, oh, really? so that's been our real primary focus at this point. We're, in time. About, we're about, if you don't mind me asking. Anywhere that's lower in taxes than Connecticut. <laughs> I'm moving in no, two weeks. Yeah. We're moving two weeks. Where are you going? Out of California. <laughs> oh, you're, you're in California. I'm in California. I'm going to Arizona. Oh, so yeah, you and I are very similar in the sense of a state that's just taxed beyond belief. Yeah. Um, I'm in Connecticut, and we're looking at Florida. Um, okay. Uh, very soon, just because Florida is in the top three best places to have a small business. Yeah, um, yeah, most definitely, and there's there's a big bodybuilding community out there, so it's yeah, dude, a great it's place just, to be. I, and then you know, if taxes go up again, 
I just can't do it. Can't yeah, do I it. didn't know Connecticut was that bad. Wow. Connecticut, I believe Connecticut is actually the second worst next to California. Cal- California is like the worst in every category. So yeah, it is. It I, is. I just can't, you know, I love my families out here and I love it, but it's like, I just cannot justify it any longer for, for at least. It's going to get worse. Just like here, like our yeah. taxes go up every year. And I'm like, dude, yeah. this is ridiculous. I can't, and I can't yeah. imagine that the whole Corona pandemic is going to make it any better. So <laughs> No, no. We need to tax more. We're in deficit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, well, uh, can you just, uh, you know, let everybody know if you want to plug anything, your business, please do uh, your Instagram, all that stuff. I'll put it on the description too, but yeah, no problem. All right, guys. So I, I do have an app. Um, it's on my website, Total Nutrition, and uh, it's basically an app. You can ask Q and A. It's got a lot of videos on there. All the information I've ever provided as, as far as papers and such. Um, it's very cool, very inexpensive. Just kind of give general real information on there. Um, our website is Nutrition for our services. I just let everybody know though, we are, and we have been had a wait list for almost this entire year. So, um, if you contact me at this point in time on September 9th, I have about eight week wait list. Um, so you're welcome to contact me on that wait list, but I can't, don't expect to be able to start right away. Um, I do the best I can. I can only take so many on as I, as I go because I don't want to, you know, mess up my quality of service to the individual. Um, but I do my best to everybody and don't think that because I'm a bodybuilder, I just do bodybuilding. Vast majority of my clients are nutrition, weight loss, nutrition, disease, getting in shape for the weddings. You know, we do bridal shower diets where everybody gets all, um, uh, wedding party, you know, diets where we get everybody all in shape for the, for the wedding. And stuff like that. So it's not just bodybuilding. Some people get scared. They're like, oh, do you work with normal people? I'm like, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, this is a really cool conversation and I've stemmed a lot of uh, questions from it. So, I mean, if you would be down, you know, down in the future, maybe do another one. Just, I, I enjoy the conversation a lot. For sure. Cool, man. Hey, I really appreciate your time. Uh, keep in touch, man. Okay. No problem. All right, buddy. You take care. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>